we have that chorus in our hymn book, and it was a song written by Stuart Hamblin. Uh, Stuart Hamblin was, I know you've heard this story before, but let me tell it again because it's a good one. And there might be people that don't know it, but Stuart Hamblin was a cowboy singer uh, around the time of Gene Autry and uh, after Gene Autry, but some of those, Roy Rogers, you know, that kind of cowboy singer. Uh, as a matter of fact, they say he was the original cowboy singer, but John uh, uh, Stuart Hamblin lived next door to John Wayne. And uh, Stuart Hamlin uh, placed his faith and trust in Christ alone as his only hope of relationship with God and home his presence for eternity. And Stuart Hamlin had a daughter, and John Wayne had a daughter, and they played with each other. And one day, uh, Stuart Hamlin's daughter invited John Wayne's daughter. By the way, I received this story, firsthand account from, uh, from a man that, uh, uh, that assembled um, Stuart Hamlin's songs. And, and he had to get his wife's permission to do that. So that's how... The story came about. Stuart Hamlin's, or uh, John Wayne's wife, told this account. And so, um, daughter goes to uh, Sunday school with Stuart Hamlin's daughter, uh, makes a profession of Christ as, as her Savior, uh, went on through life uh, telling her dad, John Wayne, about, uh, about Christ and begging him to come to faith in Christ. And, uh, of course, Stuart Hamblin living next door. That particular song, John Wayne once told Stuart Hamblin, because Stuart Hamblin would witness to John Wayne. And he said, well, Stuart, you ought to write a song about that. You know, <laughs> something along those lines. So Stuart Hamblin wrote that song that uh, Brian just sang. It is no secret what God can do. Uh, but the end of that story is that, um, according to, to, to uh, John Wayne's wife, no, I'm sorry, Stuart Hamblin's wife, Got that all mixed up. According to Stuart Hamlin's wife, John Wayne placed his faith and trust in Christ as a result of his daughter witnessing to him about four months before he passed away from cancer. And uh, I can't wait to get to heaven to meet the Duke. You know, uh, he's one of my uh, heroes. I'm probably for all the wrong reasons, but he is. And I just love that story. And it just to me, it tells the story once again of what just a regular guy can do. You know, uh, that uh, that. Uh, Somebody who has a burden for, uh, for people. For, well, you know, it's not a burden for people because you don't have to love people to tell them about Christ. You have to love Christ to tell people about Christ. You don't have to love people. Uh, I think that's a misnomer. Sometimes, well, i got to love those people. Jonah didn't love the people in Nineveh. But he, he delivered God's message, and what happened, you know? Certainly, I'll tell you this, though. I know this. If you love, love Christ, you'll, you'll start loving people like you never have before. And I don't feel prepared this morning. I'm just going to admit to you. But that's okay. Sometimes those are the best, best uh, services you have. I, ju I just need God to show up. We need God to show up. You don't need to hear what I have to say anyway, do you? We need to hear what God has to say. So take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 14, and we'll look at a few verses here, and, and we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us today. But um, I want to look at this, Luke chapter 14. Again, we have that baptism, so I want to be sensitive to that. And maybe we can dismiss, right, famous last words. Maybe you can dismiss a few minutes early so you can go eat lunch and meet us over at the county park at Liberty Lake for the baptism. For those of you who uh, may have forgotten, there is a bit of a walk to, um, to the beach area, so just be mindful of that. And if you need some assistance with that, let us know. Um, Luke chapter 14, you know, I don't know if this would be possible, Brian, but could we, could we live stream that? He's, he's probably sitting in the sound booth. Uh, Brian, if you heard me, uh, let's see, 
pound on the wall twice. No, just kidding. Um, but um, uh, maybe we could do that for those of you who cannot uh, be there. By the way, we have some folks that are out sick, uh, so be praying for them, all right? Luke chapter 14, starting in verse number 16, the Word of God says, then said, is that possible? Okay, good. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Okay, if there's cell service, Brian said we'd do it. So if you don't, if you don't see it, we'll do it on Facebook Live about 3 o'clock this afternoon, uh, just so you're aware. Now, if you can be there, please be there um, and bring some gospel tracts because there will be people that say, hey, what's going on here? It would be like the Ethiopian eunuch. Well, here's water. What does hinder me from being baptized? So I'm glad you asked. If you trust in Christ as your Savior, you can. And so I hope that you'll, you'll be mindful of that. This is an account that's delivered to us in Luke chapter 14. Then said he, speaking of Christ unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. And verse 17 says, And his servant at supper, uh, sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. They all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I, I pray have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He didn't even ask to be excused. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. and Bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. The servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, yet there is room. The Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you do a wonderful work in our hearts and lives this morning. I pray that, Lord, I pray above all else that you just be real to us. I pray that you'd meet with us that you'd speak to our hearts, Lord. Would you help us to leave this place knowing that we've encountered God in some way been challenged to live more soberly, more righteously, more godly in this present world and be challenged in some way to stop making excuses. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think what we find in Luke chapter 14, our text is, is one of the most unusual things that we read about in God's Word. It's a story of a host that has prepared a banquet, and it reminds us, I think, of what is recorded in Revelation chapter 19. So if you'd like to take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 19. And in Revelation chapter 19, it describes a great supper, which we call, or is called, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It is a supper where all the saints of God celebrate their eternal union with Christ uh, for, uh, as I already stated, eternally. eternally. So in uh, Revelation chapter 9, let's just look at verses 6 through 9 where we see this event recorded. And I heard, Revelation 19, verse number 6, and I heard, as it were, the voice of great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, uh, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, 
and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. He saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. There it is. And he saith unto me, These are true sayings of God. And so uh, we see uh, that uh, there's something in Revelation that speaks of this as well. Luke chapter 14, uh, when that host invited others uh, to come and share with him, they with all with one consent, the Word of God says, uh, began to make an excuse of why they could not attend. And uh, so one, uh, as we saw, uh, said, uh, uh, well, let me, let me say this before I go there. And I think it's important that we include this. Matthew 22 and verse number 5 is a record of the same account. And, and it says that they made light of it. They made light of it. So the invitation had been given to come to this great supper. And uh, they made excuse. Uh, and in uh, Matthew 22, we see the same thing. They made light of it. Uh, one inv- invited guest, he said, uh, I bought a piece of ground. I've got to go see it. Another person said, I, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, of course, still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, as we build upon this message, I think it's important to recognize that this was a supper, right? And that's a key point, and, and you'll see why in just a minute. Again, verse 16, it says, a certain man made a great supper, Okay? Uh, in verse 17, he sent his servant at what time? Supper time. Time for supper. Uh, none of those men, in uh, verse 24, it says, none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So what kind of meal was this? It was supper. Now, if you live in the Midwest, uh, breakfast is, of course, what it is. It's breakfast. But the noon meal uh, is not called lunch. They call it dinner. Now, this is the great conflict all over America, right? It's whether you call Coke, Coke or Pop or, you know, whatever. Uh, so so in, in the Midwest, you call breakfast, breakfast. You call lunch, dinner, and you call supper, supper. Supper is the evening meal. And so the most biblical people in the world are from the Midwest. Amen. Right? So uh, now they got dinner wrong, too, because we're going to find that out in just a minute. But the word translated supper, and I'm making a point of this and not trying to over, over, make a bigger deal about it than I need to, but, but I did want to draw that to your attention. Supper is translated as a meal that is taken after sunset. So that's supper time. It's sometime after sun, sunset. It's a meal taken after sunset. Now the word dinner, the word dinner in the same account is used in Matthew 22. But here's the, here's the difference. The word dinner refers to a meal taken early before sunrise. So it's, it's sometime in the wee, wee hours of the morning just after midnight. So, so somebody might look at that and go, oh, see, the Bible contradicts itself. And I don't think it's a contradiction at all. Matter of fact, I think it's an expansion of a fuller picture of the truth which Christ was trying to communicate. It was supper time when the servant was first sent out on his errand to round up the guest. But at some point, as he's going out and trying to get, you know, it's beyond supper time now. It's beyond the evening hours now. And it's now in the wee early hours of the morning. It's dinner time now. And at some point uh, in those early morning hours, because he had to make three or four trips, 
and he had to solicit the help of some of the other servants uh, to fill the banquet hall with guests. And so we see that a time span here that in, in a point that Christ is trying to make, and Jesus was telling a story which was set at dark. And the servants worked all through the night and into the early hours of the morning before the sun came up to furnish the banquet with guests. And so with, with that in mind, I want to consider, and it's, this is, believe it or not, is germane to the excuses that these people made. And you'll see why in just a minute. Why it's important that we emphasize the fact that it's dark outside. We're talking about sometime after sunset into the wee, wee early morning hours when the moon is out, but the sun is not, okay? Now look at the first excuse with that in mind in verse number 18. I have bought a piece of ground and must needs go and see it. Do you see the problem there? You see the issue there? He said, I've bought a piece of ground and I must needs go see it. Now, I don't want to overemphasize this, but it was dark. It's dark out. The sun is down, and he's got to go see that piece of ground that he bought? That doesn't make any sense, does it? If he, if he had purchased it, the transaction has already been made, and the deal is settled, settled. Couldn't he see that much better the next day when the sun was out? So yet he makes this excuse, I've, I can't go. I've bought a piece of ground and I must needs go see it. Pretty lame excuse for a meal that was ready after dark. How about verse number 19? Surely this guy has more sense than the first. I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. Do you know what that means? He's going to plow with those oxen. He's going to test them out. Take them for a test drive, right? He's going to go out in the dark and plow? What, is he going to have a lantern out there? I mean, we're, we, you know, we don't have these 5,000 lumen headlights or something. We're talking about, you know, probably oil lanterns. So you're, you're going to make that excuse that you've been bid to come to this great banquet, banquet, this great feast, and your excuse is that you've bought five yoke of oxen and you need to go take them on a test drive at dark with a lantern. That's a pretty lame excuse, isn't it? Now, this next guy takes the cake. I love this one. You know what's coming, don't you? Verse number 20, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Okay. His excuse, now here's what I want you to notice about this. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to overemphasize. I'm just trying to show you how lame these excuses are. His excuse ends with a, with a punctuation mark. Now look at, what, what's that punctuation mark at the end of his excuse? It's a period. So we can suppose that he made that statement with a straight face and without much emotion. It might have looked something like this. Hey, come to this fantastic banquet we're going to have and, and uh, this is going to be great. You come to the banquet. Uh, my master wants you to be there. And, um, and he says with a straight face and little or no emotion, he says, I've married a wife and I cannot come. He blamed it on his wife. You know what I said? I would have said, I don't know, maybe the servant did say it. I said, well, bring her with you. But you see these excuses and the importance of, of considering at least for the first two that it's nighttime and they're making these lame excuses. And, and can I say that aren't all excuses really the same? 
I mean, really, aren't all excuses the same? Uh, and, you know, for example, have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ alone as your only hope of relationship with God and holding His presence for eternity? If you've not, what's your excuse? I mean, bring it. What's your excuse? Uh, have, you, have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you been scripturally baptized? You might not understand what scriptural baptism is. I'm going to talk about that in just a few minutes because we have a baptism this afternoon. By the way, tonight's message is going to be a follow-on to this message about excuses, making excuses. If you miss tonight's message, you're going to miss probably one of the most significant parts of the teaching here. And so we go back to this thing of baptism. If you haven't been scripturally baptized, I guess what I'm asking is what's your excuse? Be scripturally baptized. Uh, we'll talk about that in, in just a minute. But that, that, you see what I'm saying? What, what's the excuse? If you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior, what's your excuse? If you haven't been scripturally baptized, what's your excuse? If you, are you a functioning member, a functioning member of the local body of believers? If you're not, what's your excuse? You know, God intends, and we're going to talk about this. Um, well, maybe not. We might not make it there today. right now. We'll make it there this evening. But... God intends for every person on the face of this earth to have a relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. None accepted. It's a universal gospel. God, God desires to have a relationship with you and with me. And the only way that can happen is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He intends for every person who places their faith and trust in Christ to be scripturally baptized. And he intends for every saved, scripturally baptized person to be a functioning member, a functioning member of the local body of believers. Now let me just take a pause here for just a second. I, I'm not trying to be accusatory nor offensive in anything that I'm about to say. And if you've ever said this, I didn't know it. I'm not talking to you in, in particular. I'm just going to mention this about being a functioning member, and it's kind of a teaser for tonight's message. Maybe I shouldn't give you that because then you'll say, I don't want to be there for that. But I, 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 have a, I have a concern about Christianity today. Everybody wants the benefits of salvation without any of the commitment. And part of the commitment of salvation is obeying the Lord in believer's baptism. But then beyond that, I think it's even more difficult for people, is that there is an expectation, God has an expectation of people who are saved and scripturally baptized to be a functioning member of the local body. A, a, a member of a local assembly. That's God's expectation for every, every believer. Matter of fact, there's no exception to that in the Word of God. You'll not find an exception to that anywhere in the Word of God, so far as I know. If you know, then you can come tell me. But that's the way God believes. I, I, I recently, I wasn't eavesdropping. I was part of the group, but somebody said to me, and I'll use this specific thing and and again, I'm not trying to be critical of anybody, but I think it, it demonstrates kind of people's attitude toward the church. And that this person said, I, I want to join the choir, but I want to do it on my terms. That was their exact words. And they qualified it by saying, I want to sing in the choir. I just don't want to be there every time. And I thought, wow. That really, I think, demonstrates the attitude of a lot of Christians today. I believe they're saved. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they're unsaved. I think they're legitimately saved, and, and they've been obedient to the Lord in scriptural baptism, 
But somewhere along the line, we start wanting to, rather than being a part of the body, we want to be a prosthesis. Did I get that word right? In other words, we want to be a fake body part. We want to be there sometimes, but not other times. But there's not a category for that in the Word of God. God intends for every person who is saved and scripturally baptized to be a functioning member of the local assembly. Now we're going to capitalize on that, that tonight as we move into that, that particular subject. So, those questions. Have you been saved? If not, what's your excuse? Have you been scripturally baptized? If not, what's your excuse? Have you, uh, have you become a member of uh, the local assembly? If not, what's your excuse? Or maybe it's, you know, we have to move beyond that and say, is there some area of your life, maybe God will reveal it to you this morning, where you're not in compliance with the Word of God because there's things beyond salvation, baptism, and church membership, right? There's other parts of our life that we have. And are we in compliance with God's Word? If we're not in compliance with God's Word in some other area of our life, then here's, here's the question. What's your excuse? What's your excuse? Again, God intended for every human to be saved. God intends for every saved person to be scripturally baptized. And, and uh, that's where I want to uh, kind of give you some thoughts and then we'll conclude to, and, and we'll, uh, we'll dismiss. We'll go have lunch We'll go and meet back for the baptism at 3 o'clock at the Liberty Lake County Park. I, I want everybody to know where that is. But let's talk about baptism for a minute. Tonight we'll talk more about the church membership thing. I had a man, just, and, and just one more thing about that. I had a man in my church in South Carolina that, that didn't understand the importance of church membership. And when I shared some of this information with him, he understood. Please don't miss tonight. If you've been saved and scripturally baptized, but you're not yet a functioning member of a local assembly, I, and I'm not trying to recruit for here. I, I do know a good church in, the, in this area. If I didn't think that this was a good church, I wouldn't be here myself. It's a great church. But I shared with him some of the information I'm going to tell you, I'm going to bring tonight. And it was very helpful. He ended up joining the church and became very influential in the church. I want to talk about baptism for just a minute. And then we'll be done. There are a lot of misconceptions about baptism. If you've been baptized, saved and baptized, you know, pay attention because you might have opportunity to repeat this to somebody else. A lot of misconceptions about baptism. One of them is that getting saved makes a person a Christian. And it does not. Getting baptized does not make a person a Christian. I touched base with Ella again this morning. I said, Ella, uh, why are you going to be baptized? She said, because the Lord Jesus wants me to. I said, Ella, uh, does baptism save you? She said, no. I said, who saved you? She said, Jesus. So she gets it. Very young age, it's possible. I don't deny it. It's, it's a remarkable thing to me. But a child can understand the simplicity of those things. I think she's sincere in her desire. She desires to obey the Lord now that she's been saved. Being baptized does not make you a Christian. I don't care if it's a baptism when you're an infant, or baptism when you're an adult, when it happens, that baptism doesn't save you. Another misconception is that God considers baptism 
optional or non-essential. That's a misconception. That's not true. So baptism cannot save you, and God does not consider baptism as optional. So let's talk about what is baptism for. Is baptism for salvation? We've already said that it does not. We've made the statement it does not. Uh, Acts chapter 2. I want to take you to Acts chapter 2 and try to prove myself wrong. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. Because somebody who believes that uh, baptism saves you will take you to this verse, usually. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. Peter is recorded here as saying this. Repent. And be what? Baptized. Every one of you for the remission of sins. And somebody takes you there and they say, see, that baptism is part of salvation. Now we believe that baptism is a, uh, in this church, we believe baptism is a picture of salvation, not a part. Well, they'll take, uh, take you to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. They'll say, oh, see right there in the Word of God, uh, it says, Repent and be baptized. Peter said it. He was one of the apostles. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, I didn't do very well in my early years of college. I wasn't even a very good high school student. I was a horrible high school student. I got into college, uh, Bible college, and I, I didn't do well in uh, the other language, Hebrew, Greek. I didn't do well. I, I had to do enough to get by, and I did. I, a matter of fact, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I did so poorly in English that the first time I took English 101 at Pensacola Christian College, I got my grade back, and I got a D, and I was like, whoo, yes. I passed, but next to my letter grade, there's a parenthesis that said PNC. And I asked my friend Mel, I said, Mel, what does that mean? PNC. He said, you got to take English 101 again. I said, no, I, no I, I got a D. I passed. He said, well, yeah, you passed, but that NC means no credit. And if you want the credit for that, you've got to take that. i got to pay for that class again. That's when I started to figure out, <laughs> maybe I better work a little harder and spend a little more time in the books rather than at the beach, right? And study a little harder. So I took English 101 again. I did fairly well. I got a little better grade. I got the credit for it. But then the last time I took uh, the English 101, it was because I wanted to. I didn't have to. I wanted to. Because I figured out along the way that I don't care how much Greek or Hebrew a person understands. If somebody who speaks English as their first language doesn't have a grasp of the English language, you're going to miss a lot of things like you'd miss in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 when it says, be baptized for the remission of sins. Now, then, on top of that, God would have me to marry who was going to be a grammar teacher, right? So I got all this on, on good research. The word for there can be used as a preposition or a conjunction, right, teacher? Right. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, it's being used as a preposition, the whole prepositional phrase for the remission is being used as an adverb which tells why one should be baptized because of the remission of sin. And so that means the, it's telling us this is why you get baptized because you, your sins have been remitted. 
the payment, you've accepted the payment that was already made. So let me give you this example. If you go to the doctor for a broken arm, that doesn't mean you're going to the doctor so he can break your arm. You're going to the doctor because you have a broken arm. See, same thing there. Same preposition is used for, right? And so that's what is being described here in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38 when Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because your sins have been remitted. That's what he's saying here, because of the remission of sin. Now, one might think, well, if baptism is not for salvation, then why that second thing? Why is being baptized essential? And baptism is essential because it identifies the believer with Christ. It is a public profession of faith in Christ which says, I am not ashamed. I have trusted in Christ alone as my only hope of relationship with God and a home in His presence for eternity. It's a public profession of faith. It's a public public profession of obedience. And it says, I want to be accountable. Jesus is my only Savior, but also He's my Lord and my Master, and I'm going to live my life in obedience to Him. Another question that I asked uh, Ella this morning, I said, after I asked her the question I told you about, I said, uh, is it your desire, Ella, to obey the Lord to the very best of your ability for the rest of your life? And she said, yes, it is. And so baptism takes care of both of those things, both a, a public profession of faith, but also that, that, that public profession that I am going to be obedient to Christ. And it says, I, I, I want to be accountable. And that's why we do it publicly. And, and Jesus is not only my Savior, He's also my, my Master, and I'm going to live my life in obedience to Him. So baptism is essential because it pictures the work which God does when a person places their faith in Christ. It says, He died for me so that I can be dead to sin. He was buried for me so that the old me can be buried too. He arose for me so that the new me can rise up and enjoy living in heavenly places, both now and for eternity. It's a wonderful thing that we get to do. So, it's, it's the why of baptism and, and, and why it's not for salvation and why it is essential. And the next question might be this. Why, when should somebody be baptized? We'll find we don't have time to go through all the scriptures. I'll try to give you, give you an illustration to help you. You might write these down and look at them later. But scriptural baptism always comes after salvation. Always. Acts chapter 2, 41. Acts chapter 8, 37 to 38. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. Always after salvation. Now the illustration. Look those things up, please. And you'll see, saved, baptized, in that order, always. The illustration I want to give you is, is one that I've shown many people. I've, I've shown it from the pulpit before, but let me remind you again. and Repeat this to others so that when you ask them, do you know for sure that if you died, you'd be in God's presence for eternity? And they say, yeah, I was baptized. You can say, well, okay, let's, let's address that. You can use this illustration. It's my wedding ring. It's got gold. There's a gold gold part in there and somebody a lot of people ask me about what's that other part of that that's Buckeye wood my wife is from Ohio and uh, Ohio State Buckeyes so I got Buckeye wood and that's the girl I married and so this wedding ring now this is the second one I've owned uh, the first one got uh, got destroyed and so um, 
but this wedding ring. Now, when I take this wedding ring off, does that, does that mean I'm not married anymore? No, it doesn't mean I'm not married anymore. So it doesn't matter. If I put it on, is that what marries me? No. No. It, what does this do then? It shows I'm married, right? It shows I made a commitment. And it's the same thing with baptism. Baptism is the wedding ring of salvation. It shows if you take that off, you're still saved. If you put it on, that doesn't save you. It, it's a public profession. This is a public profession that I belong to her. She's my master. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it shows that I have a commitment to her. Now, let me ask you this. If we had been on the wedding altar and she uh, and, the, and the pastor had said, okay, uh, Beth Ann, take uh, Greg's hand and, and put that ring on his uh, ring finger there. And if I had said, you know what, I'll, I'll tell you what, just give me the ring and I'll put it on later. What would that communicate? I wonder what it communicates when we get saved and we say, you know what, I'll get, I'll get baptized later. Kind of put it in our pocket. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into anything. I'm just saying that, that it's an, it, God doesn't just count it as an option, but it's essential to our testimony that we've been saved. And so uh, we should be baptized after salvation. It, it, you know, this, if I was to put this ring on before I got married, a wedding ring on, Again, it would mean nothing. Baptism is the same way. Baptism before salvation means nothing. In the case of infants, and I hope this doesn't come across as offensive, but a, a, a dry baby comes up an angry, wet baby. That's it. That's all that's accomplished in infant baptism. There's an, a lot of interesting history about baptism and, and how it's done. But anyway, that's beyond the scope of this. We've got to wrap this up. How should one be baptized by immersion? To, the word translated baptize literally means to immerse, to submerge, um, to be completely covered with water. Uh, here's something interesting you'll not find in the Word of God uh, that anybody was ever baptized by having water poured or sprinkled on them, ever. You don't find it. Not there. Period. I'm just saying, I didn't write the book, but you don't find it. I can tell you where it started. Historically, I can tell you where it started. If you're curious about that, come see me. Um, but it wasn't until about uh, 400 A.D. It's a long time after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Um, uh, so it's done uh, by immersion. It's done publicly. Baptism is a public testimony, one's decision to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So let's wrap that up. Really, that's the point. I wanted to take some time to talk about baptism because it is an important thing. A lot of people ask about it. But today, the result, I guarantee you, uh, that's, a, that's an awfully bold statement, isn't it? I don't know what's going to happen. But typically what happens whenever we have a baptism, and I, I think without fail this has been the case here at Liberty Lake Baptist Church, every time that we've had a baptism, somebody approaches me or, or one of the people in church says, can I be baptized? Always. It's a great, it's one great reason to do it publicly is because then people ask about being baptized and, and we get to tell them the wonderful story of how they can be baptized if they'll place their faith and trust in Christ. And instead of just getting wet, they get saved. That's great. So if you haven't been saved, 
What's your excuse? If you haven't been scripturally baptized, what's your excuse? I think, and again, I'm, I, I hope I don't come across the wrong way because I'm, I'm speaking from a heart of love. Any excuse that we can come up to not, with to not be saved or be scripturally baptized or tonight we'll talk about becoming a functioning member of the local assembly is lame. It's a lame excuse. So why don't we get in compliance with the word of God? Be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Look unto me and be ye saved, God said. Stop waiting. I've run into people, maybe you've met them too, that say, you know, I just want to live a little bit more of my life. And then when I'm ready, listen, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait any longer. Maybe you've been saved and not been scripturally baptized. Stop, stop making excuses. Stop waiting around. Obey the Lord. Do what He wants you to do. For the remission of sins. How about that one, huh? In a proper sense. Because you've been redeemed. Because you've trusted in Christ. Because there's no reason for you to be ashamed of the one who shed his blood for you, became sin for you, who knew no sin, that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. Why would you be ashamed of that? Whatever the case might be, however, the Lord might have spoken to your heart this morning. Mrs. Knopf is going to play a hymn of invitation. You might have been saved and scripturally baptized. Uh, maybe, maybe this morning, you, Lord, had moved in your heart to go ahead and place your membership at a local assembly. You know, if somebody else is listening to this in another part of the world and there's a local assembly by you, by all means, that was God's intended purpose for you as a saved, scripturally baptized believer is to be a functioning member of a local assembly. Go do it, wherever you are. Maybe the Lord revealed in your heart some area that you're not compliant with Him and His Word. What's your excuse? And quit making excuses. Just do what He says to do. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As the Lord moves in your heart uh, to respond to this, would you do it? Would you let Him have His way with you? I hope that you will. We'll give you just a few minutes, then we'll pray.